Welcome to Entrepreneurial Reality with Bash. Every week we'll be speaking to startup and scale-up founders to learn about them, their ambitions for the business, goals and objectives. Every conversation is a moment in time, documenting entrepreneurs' current situation with a view to coming back next year to see how they are getting on. Each journey will be different. Each innovation could be game-changing. I hope you enjoy. I'm very glad to have Douglas Bell of Frontier. Douglas, and just give a little bit of background. That would be great. Hi, I'm Douglas. I'm founder of Frontier. It's a hotel and hostel business, um, an unusual one and super ambitious, but looking to cut through the market and create uh, a really different experience um, for international visitors. Frontier Hostels, after speaking before, uh, you mentioned, is it technology? Is it real estate? So which which market would we put ourselves in if we're yes. pitching as a startup? Good question. I mean, it crosses hospitality, it crosses real estate, it crosses technology, and I would say it crosses travel. It depends who you're speaking with. If I'm speaking with a customer, we're probably a travel company. Um, if I'm speaking to an investor, it's between real estate and technology and how we're advancing and seeking unfair advantage in the market because of that. But as a founder, it's about business model for me. And we make our money as a hospitality business. We're very unusual in how we're going about doing it. It's a highly innovative play, but we make money as an operator, yet we're willing to build our own buildings. Build your own buildings. That's interesting. So straight away that comes to me, how do you get your land? Are you acquiring the land? Are you renting the land? Uh, what sort of units are you looking to build? Well, we're going modular and we're open to freeholds, so owning the land, and we're very open to leasing. Um, there's actually some very interesting short-term leasing opportunities in cities like London, where actually when you look at the real estate market, it's not worth buying the land. Mm. It's crazy, crazy land values. Do we need to be married to the way that people have done it in the past? And we find actually that there is a very interesting pop-up market and we are willing to have that, uh, give that a really good go. And so how long have you been going for? We've been trading just under a year for our pilot site and we've built that ourselves on site um, with highly innovative architectural products. But it's actually the world's smallest hotel. Really? So it's small in terms of number of rooms or height? or It's small but perfectly formed in its set of features but it's two bedrooms it's two bathrooms it's one living room and one garden so we've created a, a micro hotel concept it's actually in the top five percent of airbnb so it's performing incredibly well and it got us onto the market demonstrating a lot of things about the business um, even if it's not quite how we're going to scale it up. We'll come back to the detail of the business a little bit later. If you could tell me a bit more about you. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm not a first time founder. This, I would say, is my third serious business. Um, I've also been involved in business consultancy, so helping startups primarily. And design, that's, that's been a really important part of my background. I've almost three years hospitality experience, but I would still count myself as an outsider in the hospitality trade. London Innovators, so that's an innovation cult, if you like. It's licensed for me to approach and spend time with people who are on the cutting edge. And specifically, these are people who create extraordinary businesses. 
They're all hyper-aggressive in their business plans and they're all pushing commercial and technical boundaries. So the members of London Innovators span from robotics to medical technologies. There's lots of software and with that artificial intelligence. It's mobile technology, it's fashion, it's consumer brands, you name it. Um, but there's some incredibly exciting businesses being born in London. I, I think it has the best conditions in the world for highly innovative startups on everything but funding. But essentially, London Innovators is an elite club. It's an organization designed to aggregate and accelerate businesses doing awesome things. You mentioned funding and, and London's the leading light in terms of innovation, technology enhancements. I think it's the source of a much richer and more diverse kind of innovation than Silicon Valley. We're nowhere near as good at funding and scaling. Mm. And there's a lot of catch up work happening now on that. Okay. Um, but tragically, London has amazing businesses that don't make it because the money isn't necessarily here or the attitudes towards risk aren't necessarily here. Um, in Silicon Valley, they have a much quicker decision-making process and deeper pockets. Are you facing some challenges around the funding process? Are you funding, raising funds at the moment? I see great businesses struggling with funding regularly. It's a bit of a mystery box in London. We have an opaque market by comparison to, say, Silicon Valley. Um, venture capital here in, in London is immature by comparison. If you were to measure it against New York or California, London is slow. It's an opaque, messy market. You really need a good network to succeed. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because it, it holds companies back. It holds really good companies back. I think it is improving. One of the reasons why it's harder in London is there's lots of other ways to make money in London. And institutional funds are making plenty of money doing other things. In Silicon Valley, well, it's a bit different. They're really focused on startups. Mm -hmm. uh, but it, it will catch up at some point. Um, I'm confident through what I see through London Innovators that there is incredible quality and sufficient quantity of highly investable entrepreneurs with world-changing initiatives. And in terms of that network, uh, are there opportunities to access funding through, through those innovative companies, uh, getting access to their investors that, that may be in play? Oh, undoubtedly. I think um, there's a number of ways that London Innovators helps its members get funding. We don't take a fee for that, but we put people in touch with investors and other members put one another in touch with investors. I can give you some examples. Um, a test, askatest.com, that's a, a breakthrough in the market research world. It's a platform for instant feedback from consumers. Uh, they raised three million through an introduction um, we made at London Innovators. So delighted wow. to have made that. Yeah. Awesome company and great founders and good for everyone, frankly. That's great news. That's a great example. Going back to Frontier, you've got your sort of proof of concept that's running at the moment. What sort of investment are you looking for at this point in time? It's still very modest at this, at this stage of the business. Um, we'd probably take up to six million pounds in equity at this stage, which is very light considering the ambitions of the company. Mm. Um, but we're very lean and we can do an awful lot with that kind of money. To some tech entrepreneurs, that sounds like an awful lot for an early stage business. Well, it's peanuts for real estate. You know, you, you could go get three apartments in London for six million quid. 
you can get one. <laughs> um, with that, we will actually be building a hotel at a substantial scale and really pushing the quality way up market for the price point at which we'll be selling at. But yeah, we're, we're raising a substantial amount of money and just literally switching that on next week. Oh, great. I went traveling uh, last year, went all over the world and came across a number of hostels. They're all very, very different and uh, all have their own character. But after a while, you start to feel that you need something that's consistent and regular. Could you talk about where the locations and some of the thoughts around Frontier in the hostels? Yeah, that's really two questions. So I'll try and separate them again. Thank you. Okay, so there's a quality question, which was the latter part, and then location. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking globally in terms of location. So it's the more popular destinations that you can think of from San Francisco to Rio de Janeiro to London. Um, For context, we're starting in London. We're based in London. It is the most visited city in the world by international visitors. It's a very strong market for selling beds in. We're able to do our own buildings. We can produce really high quality accommodation anywhere in the world. That's one of the more unusual things about Frontier. That means we will look for extraordinary locations where we know we can make money. And that may be taking over a Mediterranean island um, that's completely isolated. It may be based in Ibiza. It could be you know, in, in downtown Los Angeles. They're all fair game and will make investment decisions based on the local market existing and then understand, well, hang on, what kind of a pull factor do we have? If we're creating wow quality hostels, what does that do to the local tourism market? How much market can we create? One of the dynamics we're seeing in the hostel market is it's slowly starting to improve. And that's a factor of big money getting involved. By big money, we're talking funds of 100 million plus being created just for hostel growth. Um, So Bridgepoint Ventures, uh, Patron Capital, who've recently exited. You've got, even in America, the creation of new hostel brands, Mm -hmm. but it is very early days. They're tiny scale and they're taking them up market, certainly, but not necessarily getting the culture rights or the even the brand so if you if you look at product and brand in the market only a tiny percentage of hostels were even branded and by branded i mean they've more than four or five operations they actually care about um you know <laughs> the look and feel of the product and they actually care about telling the world um, that they're different um, it's only about one percent of the market as as i understand it And we're talking about tens of thousands of hostels out there. Mm. I I suppose one temptation might be to think, well, maybe hostels are niche. Well, if they are niche, we're talking about 25 to 30% of global travel being youth travelers, i.e. they're not niche. They're massive, Mm -hmm. but it's fragmented. So so what's the total total market? If you took 5% of the market share for hostels globally, what would that look like? Wow, okay. I like your thinking. 5%, I haven't actually done the maths on that. It's such a big number in terms of where would we be? We'd be a multi, we'd be a decacorn if we took 5% of the market, put it that way. If we create 10 hostels, it's a home run, a massive home run. Mm. If we do two hostels, it's a home run for our 
existing investors. Mm. It's a massive win for them. Yeah. It's um, what was interesting is we're conflating high growth technology and the way that we're growing the business and running the business with real estate. Um, and our investors are getting involved in a company that scales. So they're investing in enterprise value. You don't find many other comparisons in the real estate market that are doing that. I can think of one, and it's a very dangerous example, and that's WeWork. Why is it dangerous? Well, th their numbers are insane, and I mean that quite literally. They, are, they don't add up. They are allegedly worth $20 billion on their cash flows um, because they're a high-growth company. Um, however, they're overspending by $1 billion per year. Hmm, maybe they'll go bust. I don't know. <laughs> But it's an interesting parallel and nice to have a precedent of a unicorn um, that is in hospitality mm -hmm. and is innovating in terms of real estate. Going back to the point around uh, hostels who care about the standards and they get to five, what are the constraints that they see? Why haven't they gone and taken over the globe with a, a consistent brand that you see an opportunity for? Great question. Um, one is attitude. You know, they are hostage to their own limited thinking. And when you look at the people involved in the hostel market, it is not attracting high caliber people anywhere in the trade. It's rejecting them. It's, it's actively putting good people off. Um, the other thing is, if you've got two hostels, you're probably living a very nice lifestyle. You're probably not needing to grow. And it's a trap. It's a, it's a funny trap where people who are doing good things stop. They're, they're happy with their lot, but they're, not, they're, they're simply not designing their businesses to scale. Now, I must also recognize that scaling in real estate historically has been very slow. And the major bottlenecks are finding and sourcing the real estate. And then of course, the turnaround and financing of those buildings. It's incredibly capital intensive and it's, mm torturously slow that makes it very very hard now to, to scale in hostels and hotels normally it's segmented into lots of different disciplines we are almost but not entirely vertically integrated we are designing these buildings we are commissioning their build and we're the operator and that's a convergence of business model but it allows us to unlock constraints we're, we're also standardizing. Um, I, I believe in productizing architecture, and I don't do that for just cutting costs. It, it speeds up the process enormously. And what I won't compromise on is quality. Just because our frameworks are identical doesn't mean the look and feel of every hostel is going to be an identikit. Did you source an architect to deliver sort of a brand relative design of the buildings? No, I've done it. You've done it? As a non-architect. Wow. And uh, it doesn't mean I haven't sought advice. Mm -hmm. I have incredible people I can go to for advice. Mm -hmm. And each of them has contributed um, layer by layer to, to something that has been proven on the market now and is getting rave reviews. Great. And the tools that you're using, the sort of fusion of technology and buildings and architecture, if you use building information management systems, the design? It's not really about that, to be honest. Um, I think of them as building blocks and units and elements that can be industrially manufactured and looking for scalability. 
Now, that in itself is not unique. There are plenty of other hotels out there who are familiar with and, and thriving on the basis of modular builds. Mm -hmm. My favorite probably sits in M, great hotel uh, created by a non-hotelier who actually wanted to challenge the concept of an affordable place for business travelers to stay. He's done a cracking job. Um, their business model is um, slightly different in some respects, but they are productizing their buildings. They are building, actually they're building identical buildings at scale. And that's why they're growing fast. Okay. That potentially is a competitor in the market in terms of attention of the travelers. Yes, indeed. Um, there are so many competitors, it's not even worth worrying about a single one. Mm -hmm. um, there are lots of good people in the hotel market, but there's very few greats and we're aiming for greatness. And that's another reason not to worry about competitors. We're going to push boundaries on the social experience. We're going to push boundaries on the emotional experience for people. We're going to challenge the status quo on the whole purpose of a hotel, the whole purpose of a hostel, to make sure that people are having an extraordinary experience, regardless of location. So a bit like uh, what Cirque Soleil did to the entertainment of circuses. The, the way awesome example, perfect example. So Guy La Liberté is a billionaire, and yet he started as a street performer. Cirque du Soleil had uh, a view of the, the circus that said, this is rubbish, this is Victorian thinking, it's not scaling. And, and frankly, they, they've got rid of children as well, which I think is really important. Mm. So for frontier hostels, um, we will exclude children. They are designed for adults, and that's a really important distinction. That in itself creates a new category of hostel, uh, where we're not looking after school groups. We, we have licensed bars. We are designed for a next generation of traveler, probably a more experienced and uh, more expectant kind of traveler. Mm -hmm. So let's dig into that a bit more, because you mentioned about the technology side, and I'm really curious to know what you mean by that, especially in line with the modern traveler who is very tablet or screen orientated on the go. So how, 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 how does that work? Well, your definition of technology is probably biased towards software. And there's wonderful software innovations we can bring in, but none of them are silver bullets. Um, if you aggregate them, however, you can create a much better experience. As a new builds product, we are a technology. Each of the units is a kind of hardware. Mm -hmm. They are plug and play units that can go anywhere in the world. And that's a breakthrough in terms of technology, but it's a tool. Mm -hmm. There's a real definition of technology. It's a tool that helps people do more or do something better or do something faster. Like a bridge is a technology just as much as a mobile phone is a technology. But we're also assuming our customers want super fast Wi-Fi. We are assuming that they want a slick mobile booking experience, for example, and that they want to give reviews and will give more reviews and better reviews if it's a frictionless software experience. Um, so we are designing software, we are designing environments, and we are designing architectural products that together are a new technical package. Mm. We're not a software company. No, I understand that completely. There's, there's a lot of um, talk for the past three, five years at least about smart cities and the incorporation of technology to buildings, roads, and such like. 
there's a real keen focus on sustainability as well and renewables. Uh, have you considered those elements as part of the building? Well, renewables is a fascinating, fascinating area. I do believe we've now had a paradigm shift in expectations on, let's call them green credentials, and we will push boundaries on that. Um, this afternoon, I've been designing a, an eco-lodge. Um, we're looking at the highlands of Scotland, mm-hmm. and it's a self-sustaining hotel. Um, it's it's off-grid. It's got its own water. It's got its own electricity. It's got its own waste. Um, it even produces its own food, not exclusively, um, but it will be some of the food will be from the hotel itself. Wow. So, what you you're looking at? vertical farming uh, indoors or would it be we'll likely do some garden? hydroponics but why don't we have free-range chickens producing the eggs for example mm-hmm. that's a visitor experience in its own right um there's no reason why we can't be growing our own tomatoes um you know we we can think differently about that people will value um, higher quality locally sourced products so why don't we include some of that that's really interesting i'm very pro sustainable renewable uh, carbon neutral buildings Uh, i think it's fantastic well it makes perfect sense i mean if you're running it um, with excellent thermal performance on your insulation you're going to have lower energy costs and you're going to be uh, a net contributor to the local economy and not being a, a draw or a drain on the local environment these are all important things, and it's fundamental to our design to be good at that. Okay. Why wouldn't we be? Mm. What were the challenges that you faced in building, effectively, the, the market-viable product or test or proof of concept, whatever you want to call it? Well, I think being an outsider was the biggest challenge. I had to persuade investors at seed stage that I wasn't a lunatic. You know what? They took a, they took a bet on me and hat off to them and... I really respect that. But they, they saw me as someone who couldn't justify themselves as a hotel operator and couldn't justify themselves as an architect and said, do you know what? He really cares about this. He seems to know what he's talking about. Let's give him a go. And the product seems to speak for itself in terms of success. Great. The hospitality and the running of the buildings, the cleaning of uh, the welcoming of the guest, which is part of the, the customer experience, the traveler experience that you're looking to build and have a brand. In scaling, that can be a real challenge for organizations, especially when considering cash flow. What's your view on the, your business model? So operationally, we, we design to scale. Everything has got to be designed as you would a technology. How do we communicate with all of our cleaning staff and all of our um, operations staff? about our brand standards? Well, the short answer is video. It's scalable. It communicates a lot more information, a lot quicker than writing stuff down and doing exams. We video things, we show people exactly how it should be done. And, you know, we can show them bloopers too. Ah, here's a way not to do it. Example A, B, C. So that we can start with a high expectation and we can sustain that high expectation How do you measure and monitor and manage that kind of operational standard? Well, again, the short answer is digital. It's software. It's having checklists like a pilot. A pilot has a a very sophisticated list of checks to do. Um, It dramatically reduces uh, the risk for 
air problems, air disasters, and, and even surgeons now have looked to aircraft pilots for how to reduce risk. Mm -hmm. And the answer is checklists. But of course, you can do that digitally. You can monitor every individual, every interaction nowadays. It's, it's not even hard. It's embarrassingly easy to get a software as a service product and go, wow, that plugs into my property management system. I have a dashboard that shows me these cleaners are performing really well. These ones aren't. Time for an intervention. Do we retrain these people? Do we give them a, a warning? Do we, um, do we just get rid of them, rip the plaster off? Now, I don't believe in super prescriptive brand standards. I used to work in Hilton when I was a younger man, half my age ago. And it was very corporate and they had their brand standards, but it was soulless. The customer experience was hampered by corporate douchebag thinking. And I don't want that. I want to empower local staff to have character, to have autonomy, to make decisions and to care. They need to be stakeholders in this brand experience. And we need to recruit on attitude. You know, it, it's not all hard stuff. Actually, the, the soft stuff, the passion, the animated experience that comes from people being actually at liberty to, to be human. And I think there's a real breakthrough waiting to happen in hospitality that allows people to be human beings. Interesting. Uh, just to touch upon the software as a service point you made, is there a potential from a business model perspective that you're looking at travel as a service? Where just if you picture you've got a broad network of hostels and hotels across the globe and you want to garner brand loyalty with your travelers. So they pay a fee on a monthly basis as they go traveling. I think we'd have to be at scale to make that decision and to really understand that and the value it offers. Mm -hmm. um, certainly the, there's, there's a lot of value in giving people a consistent quality as a brand and rewarding loyalty. So from the get-go, we are using loyalty software. We'll see how that goes. I honestly don't know the answer, but travel as a service historically has been a mass volume game. And those at the lower volume, the sort of travel retail businesses, mm -hmm. they don't make enough money. It's actually quite a hard business model to succeed in now. You're, you're literally competing with Kayak and Skyscanner. That, that's a very hard thing to make money out of. But down on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, there's shelter, there's food. There's always a market for shelter and food. And we will hopefully always make money um, in selling those. There's also a phenomenal opportunity in experiences. People are traveling and choosing to travel to have an extraordinary experience. But I think hotels have forgotten that. I think most hotels are run by accountants. And I think they are commoditizing their trade. They are doing substituting. And by commoditizing, I mean, you can substitute one boring hotel for another boring hotel. So a big part of Frontier's offering is anti-boredom. We are giving people experiences, opportunities that are not every day. Um, the whole thing is designed to be more animated, more novel. You know, when people go to a historic site, why are they doing it? Um, they're doing it for story value. They want to say they've been to Edinburgh Castle. They're doing it for learning value. So by understanding that, we can design better experiences and great story value. Interesting. 
you're currently looking for funding. Where do you see yourself in the next 12 months? Within 12 months, I hope to be building the second hotel or hostel. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, the market is ripe for this. There's no shortage of demand. There's no shortage of land. If we hit our targets on funding and build program, we should be well into our second operation in terms of rights. That's on the horizon now. But within 18 months, we could have multi-million turnover and starting to think, right, we're going from hotel, hostel to five to 10. These are the sort of leaps that we're looking to make. So it becomes increasingly ambitious. So exponential growth potential is what you're referring to. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Okay. Game, game on. You know, you, we, we've seen this in other markets. Why can't it happen in the hospitality sector? Mm-hmm. I'd say it's absolutely open goal for some exponential players to come in and take market share off incumbents. Mm-hmm. And hostels and hotels, you've, well, the, the incumbents and hostels are mom and pop. Some weird institutions like the YHA and the YMCA, they're not really serious stakeholders in terms of how they manage it. I don't see them as even comparable on products. And then in hotels, who are the really exciting people? You know, where are the inspiring leaders in the hotel market? I I don't see them. So game on. There's such a massive lack of innovation in this space. It, it beggars belief. Category creation within an old market. The, we're creating visitor experiences and visitor accommodation. The world has changed and now it is so much easier to travel. Just to go back to the design, build and operate. Uh, do you build the, the units yourself? And if so, that, that would be a lot of pressure when looking to scale exponentially, uh, when you've got a manufacturing unit? Great question. Really good question. We have built our own sample units. In fact, among my investors are people who run construction firms. We could build our own units and we're choosing at this stage not to. We are commissioning other sophisticated builders to do it for us. And that costs us more money, but reduces our risk. Yeah, so it would be a consideration for any organization trying to take on the whole supply chain, but maybe one day at scale, you want to take bring that back in-house. Uh, if we're it. really successful, we could acquire one of our suppliers, for yes. example, yes. Um, and that would actually reduce the risk. Um, the, the modular build market, aka off-site construction or volumetric <laughs> construction, um, the UK is way behind on this. It's pathetic. It's it's actually embarrassing for me uh, as an outsider to go and look at this and go, why is it so far behind where it should be? So the next question, I'm really wanting to understand a bit more about the materials then. So to build modular buildings very quickly and easily, what type of materials are you going to be using? Steel. Steel. Less concrete, more steel. Very simple. They're frames. What is a modular building? It's frames and you standardize widths, you standardize heights. You can create custom units as well, of course, but it is about standardized frames. Other materials, actually timber is a really important part of what we're doing as well. And that's not for structural purposes, it's for aesthetics. It's a sustainable, uh, very attractive material. It's straightforward to work with. It's loved by customers. Time has flown by. I've got to say, it's really interesting to learn more about Frontier. 
with the current position, what sort of recommendations or advice could you give to the listeners uh, from your experience? I would say for me, getting the message across was made infinitely easier when I realized I could communicate things visually. Get the message across through icons, through photographic examples, through graphic design. And if you can't communicate visually, learn to work with people who can. Seeing is believing, right? And, and you're creating a proposition that other people just won't see like you can. So you need to communicate your vision through imagery as much as possible. I'd also advise to get networking and to get smart at networking. You can waste so much time, certainly in London, meeting the wrong people. There's so many bullshit events out there with bullshit people going to them. So <laughs> I, I hear you. I filter hate. carefully, but get networking. Now, the secret to great networking is be of value to people. I, I give introductions forwards all the time as a matter of course. And it's a currency. It's a social currency. I'm always giving forwards. And, and it's amazing what comes back. Good networking is targeted. Yes. And yeah, give forwards. The other thing that's probably useful for other entrepreneurs is really, this, might, this is 101 to, to serial entrepreneurs, but understand your market for investors in that what do they need out of your business to succeed themselves? An angel investor needs five to 10 times their money back. Now, let me give that some context. Most VC investments are a fail. Six out of 10 VC-backed businesses die. Why? <laughs> I think there's a few reasons for that, but they are, by their nature, high-risk businesses. And the VC portfolio approach requires one massive win to pay for the fund. That's the 10x. At Spotify doesn't make money. And yet it represents, I think, over 20% of the value returned to European VCs over the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. There are very few wins in VC and most angel investors lose money. So when you're designing a business, design it for at least a five times return on investment for those investors. It's a fascinating time and a brilliant time to be setting up a business where you can legitimately design businesses to, to create these super normal returns. Super normal returns? Yes. 10x. Yeah. Well, if you look at a private equity investor, their fund might need a 7% mm -hmm. return per year. Obviously, over 10 years, that's compounding to quite a large return. But um, in VC, they need more than that because their risks are higher. Yes. But super normal wins, yeah. When you move the goalposts on your competitors and create a structural change in how you do your thing, not what do you do, mm -hmm. but fundamentally changing the business model, those kinds of Invest, investments and, and startups are the ones that deliver bonkers returns. In terms of a, a book that you've read or you're reading at the moment, what would that be that you'd recommend to the listeners? One of my favorite books is The Rational Optimist by Matt Ridley. He's a scientist, um, but he's actually mapping out the story of human progress. I interpret it as a book about innovation. 
And, and for me, innovation is the, the driving force that pushes the human race, the, the species forwards. So it's about trade and specialization. We are progressing very successfully as a species, despite enormous new problems that are in our way. Fantastic. Thank you. Is there a sport that you are partaking in? What is it? Or um, do you follow a sport? Good question. Some people play five-a-side football. I spend my time surrounding myself with furiously ambitious entrepreneurs. London Innovators is my five-a-side football. I, I, I see it as a, an intellectual sport. What would you do differently knowing what you know now? Well, I wish I had a superpower that told me how much time each individual was going to waste. That would be my ultimate superpower. Um, in what context? So what, what's individuals? So I've, I've suffered an awful lot of time wasters and hopefully I'm getting better at filtering them. But my God, you can waste so much time as an entrepreneur dealing with the wrong people. It's hard to describe. It's not one thing, but it's filtering. It's, it's understanding who to speak with and when, and it's better networking. Thank you. So, well, Douglas, I appreciate your time. Hopefully you'll come back in 12 months to, to regale on your, your experiences, your journey to date, and then talk about your plans for the next 12 months. That sounds good. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Douglas. Speak to you again soon. Pleasure. So what do you think? We'll have another interesting story to dive into next week. Looking forward to it already. Some questions to you in the meantime. What is your story? What is your reality right now? And what are you working towards? Let me know. So you can connect with me on Twitter. Just type in Bash in the search and you'll find me. So Bash, B-A-S-H. Easy. On Instagram, it's Bash Reality. So that's Bash underscore reality. And on LinkedIn, Benjamin Ashmore. Make sure you subscribe. And until next week, cheers. Cheers.